Welcome to BIB Today, the daily business podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, the Editor-in-Chief. We often debate in this country whether the burden of taxes ought to be maybe higher on the wealthiest Canadians. It's one thing that we do, but we, we actually don't take a very close look at a much larger cohort of the middle class and their tax burdens and whether, in fact, they're actually, you know, suffering a bit more than we might think in all of this. A new report from the Fraser Institute, the conservative think tank, has examined what are known as effective tax rates and determined, actually, that the more modest income earners are the ones facing very high rates, roughly half their incomes in a lot of cases. Let's look at this picture now with Finn Poshman. He's the resident scholar at the Institute. Good to have you on the podcast. Thanks a lot for joining us. Always good to talk to you, Kirk. Let's let's get the clarity on the terminology first, because I think uh, it's one thing to talk about a tax rate, but effective tax rates. What what does an effective tax rate include? Oh, it's a great question. And the the fancy word the public finance economists use is uh, the marginal effective tax rate on earned income, the meter. So that's that's the fancy talk. all it means is uh, if you or your family earn an extra hundred bucks this week, how much of it do you get to keep after uh, you've paid your federal and provincial income taxes on it? And if you're receiving uh, uh, sales tax credits, uh, like your HST credit, uh, child benefits, other family benefits, how much do you lose in those benefits uh, for that extra, extra hundred bucks you earned? And that, that's what the meter is. It's just the tax rate on the margin. On incremental earnings. So it's the rate on, as you earn more and more and more, how much and much and much is taken back from you. Yes, that's that's right. Okay. So uh, what what happens is, uh, as you know, we have a progressive, what we call progressive or a graduated tax rate schedule, federally and provincially. So mm-hmm. you cross thresholds and you bump up from 15% uh, income tax rate to 22% and so on. Uh, the provinces have uh, similar but not the same thresholds and rates, and uh, they they also have very different tax rates across provinces. Uh, but there are also the benefits that we receive, and uh, as you cross different thresholds, uh, yeah. depending on the benefit, depending on your family type, uh, then that starts to be reduced or or clawed back. So, what did the study set out to do, Finn? Well, is to have a look at uh, how it's working out across family types and across provinces. Uh, and there, there are really remarkable differences. Uh, the, the biggest one, obviously, is uh, the uh, difference between having children and having, uh, not having children. Mm-hmm. So um, if, you're, uh, if you don't have any children, right, you don't receive uh, the, the Canada Child Benefit, or what we used to call the benefit from the National Child Benefit System, uh, or any of those, we will at uh, relatively low income levels. You'll still get an HST credit and, and things like that. Uh, so if you have no children, then you don't get the benefit, which is you know the the idea of the system. But you also don't face the clawbacks. Uh, but if you do have kids, uh, then they add up pretty quickly, yeah. and uh, so you'll find families uh, from say, the upper 30,000s in, in combined family income into the 60,000s, uh, paying on the margin tax rates, uh, not not 30 or 40 percent, uh, but over 50 percent, over 60 percent in some cases, uh, as in Quebec, over 70 percent. Uh, so it doesn't leave you a lot left from an extra shift to work. 
No, I mean, and that's in a way that's almost counterintuitive in in a policy sense because aren't aren't these policies designed to actually give you like a a true break, you know, a a, a true lift in all of that? What the study seems to be suggesting is that it's actually not a huge lift at all. Yeah, the, the message is uh, it might not be a huge lift at all. Uh, it might be a headwind for some families. Hmm. So pay close attention to policy design. And this was applies to both uh, uh, federal and provincial policymakers and how hmm. they uh, stack up their benefits. Hmm. Uh, remember, like you might even have income-tested bus passes. Uh, so as your income uh, grows up, you, uh, you don't get a subsidy for, uh, for, for public transit, that sort of thing. Uh, there are you know, different, uh, uh, different rules, different places, and some of them are even municipal. Hmm. Uh, but uh, so your local one, it's uh, what used to be called uh, the Whitby, uh, which uh, Jim Flaherty loved because his riding was so Whitby, Ontario, the working <laughs> income tax benefit. Uh, it's changed a little now, uh, but the idea is that if you're at a very low income level, uh, where you'd qual- say you would qualify for social assistance, uh, even if you didn't have a family, uh, each extra dollar that you earn uh, actually earns you more money. In other words, there's at the low income range, the federal system gives you more so that you have a negative tax rate at the margin. So mm-hmm. if you earn $100, you might get $110 uh, for, for taking on that extra shift. So that's that's to make it easier for you to make the decision to take on a job and uh, not reliant on social assistance. Mm-hmm. But later on, as you go up the income scale, that's reduced again, and it's reduced pretty sharply at a low income level. So so what's wrong with the policy design then? Why Why? Are we in this situation where, as you move up, uh, you're not really moving up? Well, it's uh, what's wrong with the policy design is uh, it's only wrong to the extent that you make the tax rates or the effective tax rates so high that you don't make it worthwhile for some people to work. So the the, the sentiment, what's what the reason you create these? is to provide cash benefits or uh, you know, uh, monthly deposits into your bank account if you're in low income, and especially if you have uh, children under six, uh, so that you're not going to starve uh, if you manage it right on a monthly basis. So that's, that's, that's the aim, and that's intentional. But this comes at a price, because if you gave that much money to everybody, uh, you would have to have really, really high tax rates across the board. So you use the clawback system to reduce the amount that you give to people as uh, as their incomes go up over the course of uh, their working lives. So, so far, so good. Uh, but now consider uh, a family, you've got two young kids, you know, say two and five, and uh, two earners, one's working full-time, making about $36,000 a year, and uh, the other earner is making less working shifts and picking them up uh, on, on an as-needs or as-available basis. So that secondary earner for each, uh, each $100 shift, you might only come home with 40 or $50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even less in Quebec mm-hmm. uh, and in Newfoundland. So if you're taking on that extra shift, means you also have to pay another uh, another day's work of childcare for your kids. 
uh, you can be behind for uh, for actually having taken on the work. So that's why attention to the policy design is so important because it can end up discouraging people from work. Um, and if they're not working, it's harder for them uh, to get a promotion or to get a raise. Uh, and that's bad for them overall. I mean, it's bad for the economy too, but it's, it's bad for the people themselves if you don't pay close attention to the impact of the policy design. And, and this presumably is an unintended consequence, is it not? Well, that's right. Yeah, uh, no, nobody is you know, trying to make life difficult for people. It's uh, as you know, I, I grant our policymakers uh, the, the assumption of goodwill and design that you're pri- trying to provide benefits, cash mm-hmm. benefits, to families mm-hmm. who need them. Uh, but you have to be careful when you do it because uh, you know everything has consequences, and uh, and and usually at least some unintended consequences. And the impact on making work pay is a problematic one. And uh, there have been times over the years where a province has proposed a benefit program and a budget, and you say, hey, look, you wrote out the schedule, and it means for people here, here, and here, your effective tax rate is 90% or 95% or 105%. And uh, when you draw it to policymakers' attention, they will change it. So that's one of the reasons that uh, we come back to presenting data like these. And there is a spread across the country uh, among provinces on um, on what this effective tax rate can be, but it, but even at its lowest rate, Alberta, it's still thirty eight percent for the thirty to sixty thousand dollar income bracket. Um, yeah, so that's I mean, for for families with children who yeah. who are in that range, right? So they're losing their federal benefits and losing other benefits as well. Yeah, I mean, but that's just the way it goes. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, but at, at an individual's effective tax rate in Quebec, sometimes is uh, you know your studies finding it exceeds seventy percent. So, so I guess what I'm wondering about is is have we have we created a, a behavioral culture here where in this country you know more and more people have to discover that the extra work or taking on the job is not is not the great benefit necessarily that maybe maybe staying at home and taking care of children is is almost a better economic decision for you oh yeah and and uh, that's one of the things that uh, when uh, when uh, at federally when the conservative government was in power uh, that's one of the things that they were thinking about yes we're providing these benefits uh, and uh, in some cases lump sum benefits to avoid some of the problems that you're talking about and to make it easier, in fact, for people who did want to stay home mm-hmm. uh, when their children are very young. Uh, so what, what they had introduced was, uh, as I said, a, a lump sum benefit uh, that that wouldn't be reduced on the margin as your income goes up. And uh, the, uh, we veered away from that uh, and made, uh, made more of the system uh, more sharply income tested than it was. So uh, the uh, the wheels haven't fallen off yet. Uh, two-thirds of Canadians over 25 are in the labor force. All but four, between four and five percent of them are working. So there's, uh, there's, there's a, uh, an okay news story in there for sure. Uh, but you don't want to let it uh, get away from you. And, uh, when the, uh, you know, if and when, or sorry, when our economy turns down, the system can get very expensive. And, uh, you'll wonder if, if this is really what we wanted to do. Yeah. Is there any way to uh, 
smooth this one over? I mean, is does it require a, a kind of a national consensus uh, among the provinces to to somehow standardize where where they are? Is this, and and I suppose thinking out loud, is it even possible? Uh, yes, uh, that's that, that's one of the most common questions that. Uh, uh, federal politicians have asked me on this front: Is there is there a way sort of set a maximum tax rate and uh, either force or help bring the provinces in line so that they don't accidentally or intentionally stack up benefits that create too high tax rates? And uh, you know the answer is no. It's uh, that's not very easy. The provinces can make their own choices. Um, uh, so the uh, the route to uh, making sure that Overall, the system makes more sense, irrespective of which province you're in, is uh, uh, arming arming uh, taxpayers and arming our politicians and policymakers uh, with the knowledge about you know how the rate system, how the rates are structured, how high they can be for some people, and why that might be a problem. Yeah, there's a it's a double edged sword, I, I suspect, in this one, which is that yes, you want to uh, you want to encourage work. But you also don't want to discourage people in need from receiving uh, the benefits that are necessary in order to give them uh, an acceptable level of of income in their household. Um, that's that's exactly right, Kirk. Yeah. Uh, there there is a trade off in benefit generosity and labor market impacts, and uh, you know, a federal government could could very easily in uh, in technical terms. Uh, reduce that trade-off just by spending more money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you pay more benefits to more people and don't call them back at such low incomes or such high rates. But that costs a lot of money. Yeah. So what kind of reforms then can take place, Finn, that, that do encourage work but don't unduly penalize people that are, because we're still talking about quite low levels here, of income, for, particularly for families in a lot of our communities, particularly in our cities, I would imagine, where it's more expensive. How, how, do, you, how do you effectively reform the system so that essentially people can get out from under? Yeah, uh, you raised a good point, Kirk, and that's uh, that in the large cities, if you have a family, uh, the low-income cutoffs, the, you, know, you might refer to as a poverty line, they're intersecting with the points on the income range where you are facing these extremely high tax rates. So, so that's an issue that uh, we might want to address. I mentioned that money is uh, is one of the ways to address it, uh, and you can chip away at it um, over time uh, by making sure that you don't raise benefits too quickly uh, relative to, relative to incomes, on that or that if you want to raise the cash benefit itself. Make sure you've got some money in the budget that you've allocated to the overall program to smooth, to lower the clawback rates so that effective tax rates aren't so high, so that people get more of the money that you intended them to have. And it doesn't have such an impact, such a negative impact on what they get if, when, uh, when they decide to work or work more. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's a bit of a vanity question, but how do you, uh, how do you also get politicians to acknowledge um, that what they perceive as generosity of their government isn't entirely generous. <laughs> uh, well, having been at it for a while, I'd say in practice, 
very quietly and through a long, a lot of long conversations that involve a lot of numbers, uh, because you do have to get policymakers' attention to get them to, to understand the issues and uh, to, uh, you know, meanwhile persuade them just not to go overboard in uh, promising uh, promising money and benefits to folks that, uh, that the country really can't afford. Yeah, or that don't pan out for people. That don't, that, you know, you're, you're creating also a sense of false hope, aren't you? I mean, people, people may not realize that, that they're essentially going to be facing a, a tax rate on this until, you know, the next tax filing. Well, that's uh, there's uh, the, there's a bit of an economic literature on that uh, because if people aren't aware of their tax rates and how how much benefit how much how many dollars in benefits they might lose, they may take on those extra shifts and yeah. decide realize only after the fact that it was a bad idea for them to do that. Yeah. So uh, they've 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 gainfully contributed to the economy by making that arithmetic mistake, uh, and they've reduced the cost of the program. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think, you know, or, or from from a policy making perspective, it's our job to be in the business of tricking people. No, no, exactly. Finn, it's a great conversation, a very interesting study. Thanks so much for your time today. Okay, uh, thanks much, Kirk. Finn Poshman is the resident scholar at the Fraser Institute. You've been listening to BIV today. I'm Kirk Lapointe, editor in chief. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next time.